You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Williams in motion, low snap, Melrose stopped, Michigan makes a stand and comes up with a milestone playoff victory. Oh, he's robbed. On cue. Wow. I kind of live by saying, if you ain't got no haters, you ain't popping. So hate away. Well, I want to just jam this into the back end here. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Happy New Year, everybody. It is Halford and his bro. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Adog, good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. And a happy new year to everyone. Happy new year, guys. Happy new year. Happy new year. Someone say something. Happy new year. That's better. Halford and Bruff in the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today we are in hour one of the program. Beginning in 2024, hour one of the program is now brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet? What are you waiting for? Kintech. You got it. You got it. Finally, was that your New Year's resolution to nail that read? One of them. Yeah. The other one is to lose weight. The Kintech one's going better. (laughs) Kintech one seems easier. All you have to say is Kintech. Just Kintech. That's it. We got a big show ahead. First show of 2024. We are excited to be here. We have a lot to get into. And uh, what a way to kick off 2024. We have live, interesting sports going on right now. Canada, Czechia, from the World Juniors, quarterfinal action. Canada's down. One nothing to Czechia. About six and a half minutes to go in the first period. We'll keep tabs on that throughout the game. Yeah, my knowledge of the World Juniors this year is that Celebrini is a pretty good hockey player and that the Canucks, uh, the three prospects um, on Team Sweden, play pretty well. He's That's not it. the best in the business for nothing, folks. That's all I got. We will keep tabs on that I throughout am, the day. Today. I am a big uh, medal round guy. So uh, once this game is over, assuming the Canucks or the Canucks, Canada come back and beat Czechia, then I will be an expert. The Canucks, works. If the Canucks can't beat Czechia, they got problems. <laughs> uh, we've got a lot to do on the show today. We've got a big guest list ahead. Guest list begins at 6.30. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN is going to join us on the heels of the Winter Classic, which is about 8th or ninth on the depth chart of stories that we need to talk about. Is that reflective of the Winter Classic and its current standing? In our sporting landscape, we'll ask Wish about that at 6.30. 7.30, Mike Tanier, our NFL insider from The Messenger. You know what? It's a new year. New things abound, but the Seattle Seahawks are still doing Seattle Seahawks things. Yeah. And by that, I mean not tackling. Like at all. I, I honestly don't think I've seen a worse tackling performance in the NFL. I've seen a worse tackling performance that was... Um, Grade 8 rugby between between McGee and Point Grey in about 1990. There weren't uh, there were a lot of missed tackles in that game because it was Grade 8 rugby. But uh, the Seahawks <laughs> against the Pittsburgh Steelers was 
honestly, it was just it was pathetic. The tackle. I don't understand. I don't understand, Mike. I know you want to read through the guest list here. No, that's fine. But I don't understand how a professional football team, one coached by Pete Carroll too, like one of one of like considered you know widely regarded as as a, as a really great defensive coach, a, a guy who um, coached one of the greatest defenses in NFL history. Can coach a defense like that? We can ask Mike Tanier about Ugh. that and that McGee team, the great eight McGee team. Uh, well, I mean, Point Gray wasn't very good at tackling <laughs> either. Uh, Mike Tanier is going to join us at 730 for NFL Talk. Eight o'clock, it's Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks. It is a game day, January 2nd of 2024. Canucks Senators, 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena tonight. Pre-game, post-game, and the actual game called by Brendan Batchelor, all right here on Sportsnet 650. So we'll talk to Batch about the Sens and the Canucks at 8 o'clock, working in reverse. 7.30, it's Mike Tannier. 6.30, it's Greg Wyshynski. I mentioned we got Canada and Czechia on now. We've got the Canucks and Sens, 7 o'clock from Rogers Arena tonight. We also have a lot to get to. So, Laddie, without further ado, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. No, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. We are going to begin with your Vancouver Canucks, even though they have not played in a handful of days following that very, very disheartening loss to the Philadelphia Flyers. Jason and I went out to the bar together as friends, not colleagues, friends yeah, to watch friends. together. Yeah, other people were there. It wasn't like a date or anything, but, uh, you know, we talked to each other a little bit. But uh, that was a really um, disappointing effort against the Flyers. And I guess we talk about that Flyers game um, in relation to what the Canucks have done afterwards, and that is practice a lot. And that is something that, they haven't been able to do lately. Um, you know, they've had some times when they could have practiced on some road trips. Um, they have had a few practices here and there. But um, a lot of the time, Rick Tockett has chosen to, for example, give the guys the, the day off. A couple of times that happened on a road trip. Um, and it was just, you know, because the team, because the Canucks had played so many games, and they played a lot more than almost every other team in the NHL, uh, they needed the rest on certain days. They didn't need to be, you know, skated, and they need they just needed a day off. So they got that. Um, uh, but after that Philly game, <laughs> they had a few days off. It was almost like another Christmas break for them. They had their Christmas break, then they played Philly, didn't play well, and then they almost had another Christmas break. And uh, this time, Rick Tocca was like. Uh, <laughs> This Christmas break is not brought to you by the NHLPA, so we will be uh, practicing a lot. They practiced three times in four days, and I think overall that's the big news. Now, there were things within the practice that were noteworthy. For example, Phil DiGiuseppe was back on a second line with JT Miller and Brock Besser, Nils Hoaglander, um, who, remember, we said like the key for this guy is – consistency Mm -hmm. you know you can have two or three games in a row or a good game here a good game there but that doesn't keep you in the top six you have to consistently bring it according to Rick Tockett I suppose uh, Nils Hoaglander has not consistently brought it and he was the extra forward 
in practice and looking like a healthy scratch for tonight's game against the Ottawa Senators. The other thing to keep, um, well, there's a couple more things to uh, keep an eye on, but one of them is Carson Soucy. He's been hurt for a long time. Yeah, remember him? Tall, handsome, left-shot defenseman. He is uh, back practicing with the team. Now he's still practicing on that fourth pair, so I don't. I wouldn't expect him to play tonight in Ottawa, but after this game against Ottawa, um, the Canucks go on a seven-game road trip where I would expect to see Carson Soucy on that trip. Now, let's talk a bit about that Philly game because it did not go very well. The Canucks were looking to an avenge, uh, avenge an earlier loss to Philly. Remember that game three games into the regular season? Everyone was super happy about how the Canucks had taken care of the Edmonton Oilers. Then they went to Philly and looked awful, and everyone was like, oh, God, we're going to do it again. Um, now, that obviously didn't happen, and the Canucks had kept up their really incredible, surprising start to the season. But against Philly, they had a chance to at least right the wrongs from that game, and they made a series of really calamitous defensive mistakes that gave the Flyers yet another win over them. Mm-hmm. And it was the whole last two weeks have been strange. I mean, as a matter of fact, we're coming in on January 2nd. We're talking about a game from December 28th. And the Canucks schedule over the Christmas break was light. This was really the only offering that they had over the last seven days. And it was not an especially strong performance, which is why tonight's game suddenly becomes really intriguing. Is it going to be a one-off where you didn't play well, granted, for the second time against the Flyers this season. And are these practices and are the things that Rick Tockett has been stressing going to come to fruition tonight? We'll play the audio from Tockett now as we stress the importance, yes, just like Allen Iverson so many years ago, of practice. Talking about those key fundamentals that the Canucks need to get back to, staples, non-negotiables, things that have made them successful this season that got away from them in Philadelphia. Here's the head coach, Rick Tockett, heading into tonight's game against the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, really, Bob. It was, we went over some, some stuff that we haven't gone over. Um, and it's good. I think the players wanted practice, uh, some touches. Uh, you know, I've heard some guys, you know, I, I want to get out there and get some touches, which is good. Um, yeah, and just trying to some five-on-play, five-on-five play scenarios we did a couple of those last few days so just to make it more refreshing uh, like like a fresher thing you know like it's like sometimes we forget certain things and um i just think it was something that we needed to do what are we talking about practice we are indeed talking about practice alan well let's quickly discuss the goals that the flyers scored against the i know this game was a i know this game was a few days ago but we all need to kind of like get back into the swing of things especially you and i and bruff's still very very angry um, no, 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 he's over it. No, no? I, I, he's over it. No. Not, a, not, a, not even a quiet angle. I didn't actually didn't expect them to play well against Philly. Yeah. They don't match up well against them for whatever I, I reason. I don't think it was that. It was just the timing of it all. They, they knew that they only had this one game. It's true. They were probably still in their Christmas break. It was still vacation mode. Don't you think that was interesting? Rick Tockett was like, Philly was way more invested in that game. Well, I think were, the yeah. Canucks were like, uh, we play this game and then we got a, we got a bunch more days off, right? there. But they and do that twice against Philly. So it doesn't. It stand a reason that there's something matchup wise between those two well, teams. Well, Philly might just be a legitimately good team. Well, they are. That might. What? Well, yeah. I don't know really. yet. I'm well, still. No, they are. Well, I'm still not sure. Well, Philly and the Canucks. Well, th- I mean, a lot of people are saying that about the Canucks, but Philly and the Canucks are the two most uh, surprising teams in a positive way of the regular season. And credit to Philly, they play a pretty 
stifling, hard-nosed way of hockey, and it's working against the Canucks. But back to those goals that the Flyers scored, the first came on a Philly power play. And why is this worth talking about? Well, it's because the Canucks' penalty kill, while improved from last season, it's still a weakness. And uh, Igor Zamula... Can't stop Zamula. ...was able to exploit that. And I was like, Zamula, Zamula, where have I heard that? And, it, and I was slightly off. I thought that was the country that um, uh, Eddie Murphy came from in, um, you know, Coming to America mm-hmm. came from, and it was Zamunda. So close. Don't, don't be confused. Zamula, that's the hockey player. Zamunda, fictional country in Coming to America. Zamula, noted Canuck killer. Zamunda, clever place that Eddie Murphy came from. Prosperous nation. Prosperous. The Flyers made it 2 to nothing on... A three-on-two where you actually did have to tip your cap a little bit to the diving pass that uh, Owen Tippett made to Sean Walker. Um, But you also have to note that the Canucks had three forwards caught deep, allowing that three-on-two to start. The guys out there were Teddy Bluger, who as the third man high did not play that very well, Brock Besser, and Nils Hoaglander, who couldn't win a battle uh, below the goal line and... Uh, the Flyers went three on two the other way. The third goal, I have to admit, okay, I'm still laughing about this one. I know a lot of Canucks fans probably weren't laughing when they saw this, but I thought, I think this is the funniest, I think this was the funniest play of the season so far. Um, in kind of a sad club way, uh, Nikita Zadorov thought he was Bobby Orr apparently, and he got the puck and he started wheeling. He's like, Nikita's going to go coast to coast. Well, he got uh, not close to the other coast, no. and I joked on Twitter that he was stopped in western Saskatchewan. Maybe Alberta, actually. Maybe Medicine Hat uh, is where he was stopped on that one. He turned it over, and Tyler uh, Myers... Quinn Hughes can do this. Surely I can do well, it, too. I, the, the best part was Tyler Myers was, like, fully on board with Zadora's plan. He's like, yeah, yeah let's do this. Go for let's, it. Let's do this. And he, he never like, let me do it by myself. He's like, he's like, I'm up the ice with you, buddy. We can do this together. And then he turned it over, and both of them were like, oh, God. Uh, went back, uh, break away the other way, and it was three nothing Flyers. And at that point, the game was like the game was done. And um, well, I guess I shouldn't say that because it kind of kills my next point. The Canucks did make it three two in the third, and we started to wonder, oh, okay, well maybe they they found their legs in the third period, and then they got a power play, and it was like, oh, oh, okay, okay. There's 15 minutes left in this game. If they can score on this power play, we got ourselves a game here. Uh, the Flyers scored instead. Mm-hmm. And uh, Brock Besser, you know, if sometimes you get him to run into injury problems and you have to drop a, a forward back and play on defense. Um, Brock Besser will not be that guy. Completely lost his man in front of the net. He's like, I'm a forward. I'm sorry. I don't know how to do this. Uh, anyway, the Flyers made it 4-1. And I think it makes a good point about the power play because the power play, if you look at the rankings in the NHL, yeah, it's still probably a top 10 power play, but it hasn't been lethal in the last little while, and this is something that the Canucks need to clear up. So you've got PK issues, power play issues, defensive issues. This is why Rick Talkin wanted to have all these practices. Like they they need to dial a few things in now- because again they've got a game tonight against Ottawa, which yeah. has already made a coaching change. Um, I don't know if it's been all that effective, but you know the Senators are still going to be a hungry team tonight. 
And then a seven-game road trip is facing these Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, and Ottawa, it's funny that you brought it up that way because they do represent a team that's probably been acknowledged for what they've done off the ice more than what they've done on the ice this season. And they also just had another change in their front office where Steve Steos did a bunch of uh, interviews for who's going to be the general manager and then decided, I'm going to be the general. He pulled the Kyle Dubas. I love when they do that. So they also brought Dave Poulin into the mix. But I bring this up because... You almost forget that, oh, yeah, right, there's an on-ice product that's been largely underwhelming, in part because there's been a head coaching change. There's been a general manager change. They're 14 and 18 and 0. Uh, they're dead last in the Atlantic Division. But they come in tonight, actually, not playing badly. They've won three of their last four. Uh, there's been a slight uptick. So we'll see what challenge they present to the Canucks in that final home game before they head out on this lengthy road swing. And I guess we get to see Phil DiGiuseppe back on that second line mm-hmm. with Hoaglander out. And if you've been paying attention to the time on ice totals over the last seven games, this was pretty obvious that this was the way that this was trending because Hoaglander's ice time had dropped significantly over those last seven games. There was those back-to-backs in Minnesota and Chicago where he got less than 10 minutes of ice time. Yeah. The production hasn't been there. And then if you really want to start picking nits and looking at things, that second line is really all the offense is being shouldered by Brock Besser right now because Hoaglander hasn't done much of anything over the last seven games. And if you look at the numbers on JT Miller, he really hasn't done anything since the beginning of December either. The goals have dried up. The production hasn't been there like it was through the first three months of the season. So again, not- Well, on the shorthanded goal that – I don't know how many people brought it up, but on the shorthanded goal – that the Canucks gave up to the Flyers. Uh, Miller won the draw, but they didn't. He didn't. He didn't block out the guy that he um, beat in, in the draw, and that guy was able to pressure Quinn Hughes on the point. And it's little things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Little details, things like that, that end up costing you in a game. And in that case, it did. Now, GT Miller is tasked with a very large job. On this Canucks team, he's charged with obviously um, offensively and especially on the power play. Um, so we mentioned that the power play has struggled a little bit. So he's going to take responsibility for that. He also gets most of the tough matchups. Like he's the matchup guy. And I wonder if having a guy like Phil DiGiuseppe might help calm that line down a little bit. I think that's the idea. Do you know what I mean? Yep. It's like we know what we've got in Phil. Mm-hmm. We don't always know what we got in Nils Hoaglander. Um, well, might have a conversation later in the show if we've got time about whether or not the Canucks need to address basically that second line winger spot or any of the top six. I, I guess Kuzmenko's going to get a run with Pedersen and Mikheyev on that top line, but that second line... If you're looking at something to address in a trade, maybe that's the thing that you're looking to address. By the way, on the out-of-town scoreboard, very out of town, all the way over in Sweden. Czechia is now up 2-0 on Canada. Czechia good. Uh, So uh, Canada, if they're not careful, if they don't pull it together, they're going to be out of this tournament in the quarterfinals. And I don't know the last time they were out in the quarterfinals. Was it when we hosted here? Was it when we hosted in Finland? Finland that was beat the twenty seventeen, the Mikey DiPietro yeah, yeah. year, and that. Yeah, I'd have to I go back and double check. I was at that game. That's right. You were Believe wearing it or a not. Canadian tuxedo, an actual Canadian so, tuxedo. So um, I want to talk a little bit of football because um, we'll talk NFL later. I'm almost like so angry at the Seahawks right now that I might just leave that conversation to Mike Tannier. But last night. The Washington Huskies. Yeah, we're going to get some college football talk. Get used to it for the next week. Mm -hmm. Because the Washington Huskies 
are going to the national title game against the Michigan Wolverines. And the Huskies beat Texas, and they were the deserving team on the night. Uh, A-Dog don't giggle, but Michael Penix was brilliant. I think that was the best game that I've ever seen Penix play. Uh, Statistically, maybe he's had some better ones, but not many of them, and certainly not in a bigger situation than that. He was brilliant at quarterback for the Huskies, and I have to say a few weeks ago I was a little bit down on Penix. Um, he struggled in a few games down the stretch. Now, he always got the job done, and the Huskies got the win, and I know that because they haven't lost a game this year. Um, but there was a couple games that he played where his, it just, he just looked a little bit off. The you know his, his throws were sailing on receivers, and but last night, he was unbelievable to the point where I was like, mm, I wonder if the Seahawks should try and draft this guy. Yeah, and we'll probably have that conversation coming up. we got Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from The Messenger, going to join us at 7.30. We'll, we'll break down everything that happened in the National Football League this weekend. We can ask him about the possibility of that because the Seahawks might not be in the NFL playoffs at 8-8, eight and eight, now no longer controlling their destiny. But you mentioned the Washington game last night, and uh, a few takeaways there. One, I forgot how long college football games are. That thing was on until 10 o'clock at night. That was one of the longest games yeah. that I can remember. College football was on for a grand total of nine hours yesterday. <laughs> yeah, there's two games. It just did not stop. <laughs> it was on for forever. Two, you got to see the beauty and also the frustration of collegiate athletics yesterday when you allow guys in their late teens and early 20s to go out on massive stages with high stakes and a lot of pressure. Sometimes they don't have the best decision-making ability, and that goes for the head coaches as well. So late in the game, it looks as though that Washington has this thing so salted away they get possession with less than a minute on the clock all they have to do is bleed the clock they're unable to do so have to punt the ball back to texas and then texas makes another late improbable rally Uh, do we have the audio on this one i love the final call of the national semifinals both games were fantastic like without question i lobbed a lot of criticism at the college football committee for leaving Florida State out, and then Florida State proved why they shouldn't be in there. That's a whole other story. But those two games yesterday were amazing. One well, the start of the Michigan-Alabama game wasn't great, but the ending was terrific. But they got the drama yeah. that they wanted, and they got the theater that they wanted. So for the Huskies and for our good friend Dave Softy Mahler from 730 KJR Sports Radio in Seattle, who was loving it yesterday, uh, here is the walk-off. It is Longhorns quarterback Quinn Ewers trying to complete the improbable comeback, and the Huskies saying, no, not on our watch. Ewers lobs it up, and it is incomplete, intended for Mitchell. Elijah Jackson had the coverage. Washington hangs on and wins the All-State Sugar Bowl in the college football playoff semifinal. So if you look back on the last two games for the Huskies, they had the Pac-12 title game against Oregon. And they had already beaten Oregon during the regular season at Husky Stadium. But the way they finished their season, although they didn't lose any games, they didn't look great. They barely got by Oregon State, and they barely got by Washington State in the Apple Cup. And they should have taken care of, certainly, the Cougars. They should have taken care of the Cougars a little more easily than they did. So they go into that Oregon game down in Vegas, and they were nine-and-a-half-point dogs. How crazy does that look in retrospect? Well, in retrospect, it looks crazy. Yeah. And they won that game. They played really well. And they took care of business against the Ducks. And then they get the Texas Longhorns, who weren't undefeated. They had lost one game. Uh, but they, you know, they're a good team. And the Longhorns 
were favored against the Huskies. Not significantly. I think it was three and a half or four it, points. It, it closed at three and a half. Three and a half points. So now they go and play Michigan in the title game. Predictably, the Wolverines are, who are also undefeated, by the way, are four and a half point favorites in this. And I bet the Huskies like that okay. because they can just say, yeah, we've been disrespected all season. And guess what we've done? We've won all our games. Yep. Perfect 13-0 and going into the national championship. So it's Washington's chance to win a natty. Although they didn't outright win it in 1991. They had to share it. Yeah, you used to be able to share them with the Miami Hurricanes mm-hmm. back and in they, 91. They claimed one in 1960, but that was really weird. They just were like, that's ours now. Do you know, do you know the story of it? No, but it was on Wikipedia when I was looking it up. There's like, they've claimed two. The NCAA says you yeah. only won one. Well, what happened in 1960 was they uh, had a good season. They only lost one game. They lost to Navy. Na- Navy one. was good back then. Yeah. Um, but then they got Minnesota who was the number one team in the nation in the Rose Bowl. But they didn't count the bowls back then. Right. They didn't. They were just like, I think, I don't know, the newspapers were just like, yeah, we're not doing the bowl games. It's like too. an exhibition game. So, um, so Minnesota had already claimed the national title. They were the number one team. They were given the, the – and but then the Huskies beat them in the Rose Bowl. So the Huskies were like, eh, we're national title champions. But anyway, so like they've claimed one in 1960. They shared one in 1991. And by the way – to win that national title, at least in the coaches' poll, they beat Michigan in the Rose Bowl. Mm-hmm. So, speaking, speaking of Michigan in the Rose yeah. Bowl, they, of course, won yesterday, beating Alabama. And again, a really <laughs> – I hate describing sports as long, but it was a long game. I sat there for three quarters of Michigan and Alabama. Well, how long was halftime? Like it, half an hour? Yeah, and my my kid was watching with me, and they had the marching band. It was an old school, very old school yeah. halftime performance. Like Jack Harlow wasn't out there rapping to the kids. They had a marching band. I'm mm-hmm. like, this is how they used to do it back in the good old days, where they'd march, and then they'd bring out a horse, and then they'd march more. It felt as long as he hummed that song. It was, it was. But anyway, the ending was fantastic. Michigan wins it in overtime after a really questionable play call on fourth down for Alabama, uh, fourth and goal to send the game into another overtime frame. Anyway, it was a great weekend for sports. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. On a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Happy New Year, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Before we get to anything, all of our business, all of the reads, Brandon Batcher, I will confirm what we were talking about prior to going to break. Canada is out at the World Juniors. I am sorry if you were recording the game. I was PVRing it for later. Gonna watch it right after property. Don't brothers. bother. They lost. They lost. I ruined that for you. <laughs> Three two to Czechia in one of the bigger upsets in recent memory at the mm-hmm. tournament. Czechia scored the game-winning goal with 11 seconds left in regulation. Looked like it was going overtime. Not so fast. Canada out. Czechia advances to the semifinals. So first time they've been out in the quarterfinals since 2019. Yep. When Canada lost to Finland here in Vancouver. Uh, so we've got a lot to get to in the final hour of this program. Uh, Please send in some what we learns. 
What did you learn over the last 72, 96, 384 uh, hours in sports? Just let us know. We have none. There's no what we learn is coming in. We need more. That is precious content that the show mines throughout the show. People are still in vacation mode or even still on vacation. Snap the out of it. The kids are out of school this week, so I wonder if a lot of people are still working or still take, it's taking time off. Snap out of it. Yeah. Send them what we learned. Hashtag them WWL. Dunbar Lumber text line is 650 uh, Okay, real quick. Hour three of Halford and Bruff is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. We're coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet? What are you waiting for? Kintech. Good. Uh, to the phone lines we go. Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks, joins us now on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Batch. Happy New Year. And to you guys as well. How goes it? Uh, things are well. How was your New Year, Batch? Oh, it was good. It was low-key. Nothing too exciting. But, uh, you know, interesting now to, to flip the calendar, especially from a Canucks perspective, and see what 2024 has in store. Uh, before we get to the Canucks, I have a question for you. Okay. Is is it is it hard to follow and support Manchester United? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like what, what, what are they the most inconsistent team in the history of sports? Like so in the last week what they they had that incredible comeback win over Villa and then they go to Nottingham Forest, not the actual forest, but there's a stadium within the forest. And they might they, as well have gone to the forest. And and they they actually look like they might be doing it again, coming back and winning, and instead they lose to Forest. This team spends a lot of money on its players. What's going on there? Yeah, it's uh frustrating. It's you know, to, like as a fan of the team, it, it's kind of like I'll compare it to what the Canucks were like last year, where the off-field storylines are more at the forefront than the actual results because, um, you know, the, the team is, is not in contention for the title. They're not in contention for Europe at this point unless something changes. And so following Manchester United, now you're talking about, oh, Jim Radcliffe has come in and he's going to be taking over football operations after buying 25% of the club and who are they going to get rid of in the January transfer window because it, it seems anyway from – the outside looking in that it's kind of a, a culture problem with some of the players on the team and, and guys that have been there for a while that have kind of, uh, you know, been connected to this lack of success. And so that's sort of what I'm more interested in now, rather than following the, the, the day-to-day results and how they do on the pitch, because, you know, they're, they're out of the champions league. They're not really in contention for, for uh, any trophies to a, to a serious degree here. So what are they going to do to change things? Who are they going to get rid of? Who are they going to bring in? This is kind of what I'm you know more interested in following with this team. And, and that's kind of what it was like following the Vancouver Canucks mm-hmm. last season as well. So there's some comparisons to be drawn there anyway. Well, speaking of last season, that Philly game looked a bit like last season with some of the, Defensive miscues, the odd man rushes given up. Uh, the special teams weren't particularly good. Um, how can the Canucks uh, put that one in the rearview mirror? Because to their credit, the Canucks have been pretty good at bouncing back from poor performances this season. Yeah, they have. They've been resilient, and that's something that has kind of developed because, you know, as we were just talking about last season, they weren't a very resilient team we often talked about them blowing leads as opposed to being a team that responded well when things 
went against them. Uh, you know, to me, and, and maybe it's an easy excuse, but I look at the Philly game and I say, you know, first game back after the holidays, you've had a lot of success. You've probably been away, you know, spending time with your friends and family and hearing about how great your season has been. And, and maybe you sort of buy into your own hype a little bit, or you haven't been on the ice for a few days and you come back and not only do you come back, but you come back against one of the hardest working teams in the league in the Flyers. So if, if you're not ready to put your work boots on in a game like that, then it's, it's going to be trouble for you. And I think the Canucks have struggled mostly against high pressure teams this year against teams that are really aggressive on the four check. There are times where they don't know how to deal with that. So I would expect them to respond well. They've had a number of days of practice here. Rick Tockett has really put in, put this team through some paces in terms of uh, working on, on, you know, some of the things in their game that he thinks they need to improve upon. And um, we saw like a lot of battle drills and things like that in practice where, um, you know, there was a high intensity level. So you hope that you can carry that over from the few days that you've had to work here, which really, you know, are a luxury for this group because they don't often get a lot of practice time. And after the game tonight, they're heading out on a seven game road trip. So, um, you know, hopefully when they've been able to hone in on some of these things and they've worked a lot on special teams over the last few days too, that that can benefit as they get set to face the senators tonight. Um, what, what does it mean for this team that Phil DiGiuseppe is back on a line with JT Miller and Brock Besser? Uh, I think it means what we've kind of seen throughout the last couple of years, which is that they are still short a top six forward. And to this point, anyway, they haven't found a guy that the coaching staff anyway believes can be a consistent member of that line or a consistent staple in the top six. And that's why, uh, you know, Di Giuseppe was there at the start of the year and then he was down the lineup and Hoaglander had a good stretch there, but talk it in relation to this has talked a lot about consistency and what it takes to, you know, be a success up the lineup in the NHL on a daily basis. And I asked him this exact question a couple of days ago and he said, you know, it's hard to be in on the four check every game, you know, guys can do it for one or two games or they could put a good stretch together, but to do it night in, night out, on the road, at home for 82 games, you know, it, it's it's difficult. And it's clear that he doesn't feel that Niels Hoaglander has played to that level of late. Um, so it, it appears like they're going to make a switch in that regard based on the fact that Hoaglander was off a line at practice for the last few days. So Deep Giuseppe goes from the press box to the second line. But, you know, saying that about a player, I, I think it shows that that Talkett is still looking for something on that line. And that something is a player that can do that consistently. And until he has that, whether it be prior to the trade deadline or through free agency or an acquisition in the summer or whenever it happens, I would expect that no one player ends up being stapled on that line. And in fact, you know, maybe we see Di Giuseppe for three or four games if he plays well, and maybe Hoaglander gets a chance again. And then, you know, depending on how things go, could Pew Suter play up the lineup in that spot? I, that's sort of what I look at with, with that line, is that none of these guys that have had a chance and in limited stretches have had some success there have been able to sustain it over the longer term. Do you think he'd ever consider breaking up the third line and giving Dakota Joshua or Connor Garland a spin up there? Maybe. The one thing he has done is he's given Garland a spin on that line in-game briefly 
So he, he seems really loath to break up the third line, and you can understand why based on how well they've been playing. But he'll kind of double shift Garland at times in games if he's looking for a spark on that line where you'll see Garland skate with the Miller line and then he'll be out, you know, two minutes later again with the the Bluger line. So, I mean, that to me kind of feels like a, a break glass in case of emergency thing that he has because of how consistent that third line has been. You know, I wouldn't want to break it up either if I was him because they control play at times. They're giving you offensive late. Um, they're, they're the most consistent thing you have in your lineup. And uh, it really makes a difference to have a third line like that. That's not something we've seen the Canucks have in recent seasons at all, where, you know, they really trust the third line. And in particular, the third line center is a consistent player that, um, you know, gives them a bottom line and, and can, can help control play as well. So, um, you know, maybe we'll see Joshua get a chance there at some point. Um, although I would kind of put Joshua in that conversation of guys that, you know, dating back to last season have had a chance in the top six, but haven't been able to stick and make it consistent. What has been consistent is the play of that third line. And if you break it up, then maybe you lose what is kind of an ace in the hole for you in terms of the depth production that you're getting right now. Uh, when do you think we'll see Carson Soucy back in the lineup? Yeah, that, that's interesting. I don't think it'll be tonight, just based on the, the tenor of Rick Tarnock's comments about it yesterday, but they keep saying he's close. Soucy has said he's close. Tockett has said he's close. Um, you know, he's had some good practice time here. So I would expect on the road trip, and I would even trend towards saying the earlier portion of the road trip based on the fact that he's remained a full participant in practice, there don't appear to have been any setbacks. Uh, so that's good news for Carson Soucy and good news for the Canucks. And it's going to be interesting to see how they shuffle their defensive pairings. And uh, ultimately, I think it'll probably, you know, look at which left shot defenseman ends up playing on the right side, because you have to imagine that it's Noah Juleson coming out of the lineup to make way for Soucy, even though I think Juleson has played very well and been very consistent for the Canucks down their lineup so that's a good problem to have if you're taking a defenseman who you've liked his game and putting him in the press box because you're starting to get healthy so probably not tonight for Susie I guess we'll find out for sure uh later this morning they have an optional skate uh but it wouldn't surprise me if we see him even later this week on on Thursday potentially based on the the way his recovery has been going Batch you'll have to excuse this question because I was on vacation um (laughs) was there a hard um, reason given for why Casey DeSmith started that game against Philly? Not particularly, no. I, I, I think they just maybe wanted to get Demko some extra rest over the holidays. That, that would be my guess is, you know, it'll be a, a nice long break for him. Uh, we assume he's going back into the crease tonight. I guess we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Um, but no, in terms of, you know, an injury or, or any particular uh, decision or, or reason there, to my knowledge anyway, wasn't anything that was said publicly about why they chose to go with DeSmith. Did it surprise you at all? Like, kind of yeah. like, when I saw that, I was like, oh, wait a minute. I hope he's not, I hope Demko's not hurt or anything. Yeah. And, you know, Demko has been a full practice participant here. So I, I don't think that is the case. That would surprise me if, if that was the reasoning. But, you know, I, I do kind of wonder not to, you know, take anything away from Demko, who I think has had a fabulous season. But 
his game had slipped maybe a little bit in the, the final few games before the break. We saw a lot of goals going through his five hole, particularly in that uh, loss against Dallas. And so maybe that was the thinking is, you know, you give him some extra practice time. He's got a lot of days here. He can hone in on some stuff with uh, the goaltending staff and, and try and bounce back stronger in the new year. So maybe that was the thinking, but that's just speculation on my part. So we'll have to see what happens with the goaltending decision, not just tonight, but going forward into this busy road trip. Batch, just talking a bit more about the defense. Um, I often say that, um, you know, this is my easy way of judging a defense. It's a good defense. If you've got two pairs that you can trust, the third pair is a, is it's like, it's nice to have a good third pair, but you can you can hide a, a or you can shelter a, a questionable third pair, but if you don't have two pairs where you always trust them when they're on the ice, then you might have problems. Do the Canucks have two pairs right now that they can trust? They're getting close. Uh, it, it seems to me that Talkit is getting there in terms of trusting Zadorov and Myers. Now they still have room to improve, and I think Zadorov is still sort of getting his feet under him, you know, with a new team and understanding new systems. But uh, Talkit has talked about how much he's kind of liked Zadorov's progression as he works through some of these things and, and learns these things. Uh, it's clear he trusts Hughes and Heronic. Um, and Cole and Juleson have given him some good minutes as a third pairing too. So I'll be, you know, this is part of the reason why I'm going to be fascinated to see what they do with the pairings and how they build out their blue line once Susie returns, because, you know, then we're talking about a very big blue line and, and not that Noah Juleson's a small defenseman by any means, but you look at the four defensemen not named Hughes and Heronic, and you would say, okay, those are all bigger defensemen. They're all guys that have size, that have reach, that have length, as Rick Tockett would say. And that's something that he has sort of, preached about wanting and and feeling is important in a modern day blue line for quite a while dating back to last season when he would speak complimentarily about the golden knights blue line and and you know how they were built and you know not that he you know wants them to get rid of hughes and heronic by any means because those guys have played great together and they're a big part of why the canucks have had a lot of success but uh, i would imagine that talkett is very pleased with how the blue line has been built out uh, with the size of Zadorov and Myers and Susie um, in particular. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do in terms of trying to find uh, a second pairing that they can trust on a nightly basis, whether he thinks that Zadorov and Myers can be that and keeps them together, or whether he slots in Susie, maybe you move Cole to the right side. That's kind of what I would look at is he's the guy that has played the right side the most in his career. And if you move him to the right side, do you pair him with Susie? Do you trust them a little bit more? Do you put him with Zadorov and go Susie and Myers because they played together? Um, you know, that, that's going to be, I would imagine, an, an ongoing conversation and something that they look at through the second half of the season here because, you know, whether you have a second pairing that you fully trust right now or not, you need to try and have that by the time you get to the end of the season and the games start to really matter and you head into the postseason. So, um, could Susie help in that regard? Can he solidify one of those pairings so that Talkett trusts them to an even greater degree? I think that's possible. But right now, I would say they're getting close, but I don't know if, if you're right there where you've got the two solid pairings that you'd throw out over the boards against any line in the league. 
What do the Canucks need to see from Elias Pettersson in the new year? Yeah, I, I think, you know, he has to elevate his game a little bit, and that's because the hockey is going to get more difficult, right? This stretch run isn't going to be like any stretch run that the Canucks have had in Pedersen's career because the games are going to matter more down the stretch and they're going to be battling, you know, for positioning in the division and battling for their spot in the playoffs. Whereas every other year since Pedersen's come into the league, you know, the, the stretch run has been about, you know, we're looking forward to next year and we're trying to find our game. And, and, you know, in, in the last couple of years, we've got a new head coach and we're figuring out new systems um, you know, even in the, the COVID year where they had the, the playoff bubble run, they didn't really get a full stretch run because the season was shut down in early March. So, you know, this, this young core group of players has not gone late into a season with games that really matter in terms of their positioning in late March and early April. And then, you know, by extension, late April as well, once the playoffs get going. So, um, you know, I think we're going to learn a lot about Patterson. I believe that he is the kind of player that will elevate his game and, and will shine brightest when, when the pressure is on a little bit more. But, um, you know, as the calendar flips, he's a guy that they're going to rely on a lot. Uh, he's going to have to continue to sort of try and drive play on that line in spite of the fact that, you know, uh, the, the Kuzmenko spot on that wing has been, you know, less than consistent or reliable to this point this year. So, you know, a large part of Pedersen's success is going to be tied, I think, to who is on that line with him and how they're playing, whether Kuzmenko can kind of get back to being the, the offensive player that we saw from him last season or whether there's more, um, you know, change on that line in that spot in terms of can Kuzmenko hold down that spot on that line or is he being moved down or out of the lineup because of some of the, the things in his game that they need to see. We'll have to wait and see, but Pedersen kind of needs to rise above all of that noise around him and just elevate his game to be one of the key players on this team because they are going to need him when they get into tough playoff games and, and they need a goal. He's one of the guys that you would expect to help create it. And, you know, I think for the most part, he's been very good this year. You know, he's still one of the top 15 scorers in the NHL, if I'm not mistaken right now. So uh, continue to to grow your game, maybe get back to the kind of game that you had earlier in the year. Although, you know, I'm I'm not quite as down on how he's been playing of late as I, I know some people are. But you know, there is still room for Pedersen to grow and elevate his game, and he's going to need to do that as the season carries forward. Batch, this was great, man. Thanks for doing it as always. Happy New Year once again. Uh, enjoy the rest of the week. Have a good call tonight. We'll do this again next week. Sounds good. Thanks, boys. Thank you. That's Brendan Batchelor, Canucks Radio play-by-play voice here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. A reminder, tonight's game, Canucks Senators. You can hear everything you need right here on Sportsnet 650. Pre-game, post-game, the actual game. Keep it on the dial. Keep it on Sportsnet 650. Uh, We're going to do what we learns coming up in a little bit here. Um, I have two, two what we learns that I'm going to do real quick because they're both international football slash soccer related okay bear with me first don't don't switch that dial big news for canadian football and italian football at the same time at the same time Tejan buchanan canadian international formerly of club bruges on his way to inter milan mm-hmm. pretty big deal i believe he's going to be the first canadian male player to ever play in Serie A. 
Olympic really? in, in entirely and then yeah. Serie A? Yeah, really? I don't think there's ever been a Canadian wow. male player. There's been and a female going to player. one of the bigger clubs, too. Julia Grosso, the mm-hmm. uh, Olympic hero, right here from Vancouver. Uh, she plays with Juventus. But uh, Tejan Buchanan going to Inter. That is a very, very big January transfer window deal because Juan Cuadrado, their star Colombian wingback, has uh, suffered an Achilles injury. So there's thought that... Uh, Buchanan could feature and feature right away. Mm-hmm. Some reports suggesting if he is medical, I believe his medical is underway right now, uh, he could play in their January 6th game on the weekend if he gets a sniff at it. So kudos to Tejan Buchanan on his way to uh, Serie A with Inter. That's pretty cool. When When is Alfonso Davies, when is his future going to be determined? Possibly in this window. Okay. We How long know. is the window? Uh, I don't know. Putting the, it on the spot. Yes, there. you certainly are. I don't know yeah. the exact end date of the January window. Okay. I apologize. How do you not know the windows? Yeah. Come on. I just don't know the end date of the window. I know the window is open. That's uh, the only date you need to know. Mm-hmm. There's also news. <laughs> there's also other <laughs> fairly prominent news. And then one of the more recognizable gaffers in the world, Wayne Rooney, out at Birmingham. Didn't he just go there 15 matches ago? <laughs> didn't he took Robbo with him, didn't he? Yeah, now they're both gone. Uh, Wayne, so here's how this happened. Uh, Wayne Rooney was coaching in MLS mm-hmm. with DC United. Right. And about three matches before the end of his tenure with DC United, they were in Vancouver. And I remember thinking, there is a very unengaged manager in Wayne Rooney. He just right. kind of sat there the whole time. Yeah. Sat in his chair. I don't even think he made a sub. He's like, it feels like a lot of work. Yeah. They're like, uh, Wayne, we're losing. He'd be like, all right. He all, that's exactly what he sounded you gotta like. You got to talk to the ref. Ah, <laughs> uh, bollocks. If I, didn't know, if I didn't know any better. Bollocks, in it. If I didn't know any better. He's not I would, Australian, you idiot. No, in it. I-N-N-I-T. In it. Uh, British. If I didn't know any better, I would have said, hey, that guy there, that looks like a guy that might have another job lined up. And sure enough, right. he did because he went to Birmingham. Now, the only reason I'm bringing this up is because Birmingham's a fairly noteworthy club because... Tom Brady recently became part of the ownership group. Mm-hmm. Part of the big splash of Tom Brady coming on as owner is, hey, we're going to go out and get legendary English international Wayne Rooney to be our manager. Mm-hmm. And then it all went terrible. And then it was finally the final straw, Jason. The final straw was yesterday when they lost to Leeds 3-0. Your Leeds. They said, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. You could do a lot of things as Gaffer, but you can't do that. You know, I, I know Wayne who, Rooney was sacked. I know who their next manager is going to be. Who? Belichick. <laughs> oh my God! Right? Yeah, we, no, we've no, seen no, we've seen proof of proof of concept. Ted Lasso. Yeah, yeah. And I cannot. And, think- and is anyone as positive and cheery as te- and then than Bill Belichick? Like they he's basically that, Ted Lasso two point Yeah, they say that Jason Sudeikis is a young Bill Belichick. <laughs> so hold on, if I'm reading this correctly, I'm just catching up on this Rooney situation. Yes. Two months ago. Yes. Basically two months ago, they signed him to a three and a half year contract. That's correct. And then blew him out. Fifteen matches in. That's crazy. The this is the championship, so this isn't the Premier League. It's the one below, right? This just to give you an idea of what we're talking about. It is so everyone is so terrified of relegation that it, even if you sign someone to a multi year deal to be your yeah. gaffer, if you face the reality of going down, and, and I think Birmingham are only six points clear of the relegation zone, you just you have to make a move, right? One texter summed it up nicely. Bros, what, W-O-T, about the gaffer sacking, the Brummies whacked Robbo, and his bro <laughs> Wayne Rooney probs. Top shelf content, in it? Yeah, right. Mm. <laughs> anyway, yeah. mook out that and our mangling of English slang. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff.